Podcasting from Phoenix, Arizona, the home of year-round flip-flops, the nation's largest city park, and Cactus League spring training. This is The Saver and the Spender, a weekly podcast about budgeting and money habits from both perspectives. And now, here are your hosts, The Saver and financial coach, Kelsa Dickey, and her husband, The Spender, Michael Dickey. And welcome, everybody. This is The Saver and the Spender. I am Michael Dickey, The Spender. And I am Kelsa Dickey, The Saver. We are excited to have you guys with us. This is episode one of our new podcast, uh, and the topic for today is going to be the differences between spenders and savers in relationships. And that is definitely us, Michael and I. So he is the spender, I'm the saver, and for those of you who don't know us, we own a business out of Mesa or Phoenix, Arizona called Fiscal Fitness Phoenix, where we help people manage the day-to-day part of their money. So we don't do investments or insurance. Uh, Our sole focus is on budgeting and helping you make really good day-to-day decisions. And so one of the things people ask us all the time is, have you guys always been on the same page when it comes to money? Um, How did you get Michael to convert to being a saver is one of the questions I get all the time. That's right. It is hard. And, uh, but, you know, I think in how long we've been together, 11, 13, 15 years almost now, I guess, been married for... We should quiz him on that. Yeah. Because he didn't really know the answer. I right? don't. I think so. That's okay. We've been married married almost 11, so in about a month it will be 11 years married, yeah. but we were together for, I don't know, two, three years before that. Before maybe? that, yeah, at least. And then I convinced you to put a ring on it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, we're, we're a little tired this week from baby and... Guns N' Roses concert and all that kind of stuff. Oh, so, okay. That's a good good excuse. That's, right? that's my excuse. Um, so anyway, anyway, you it was not always easy, right? No, I mean, right. Like we definitely had to figure out uh, how to work together to make financial decisions or spending decisions uh, that worked for both of us, as you being a spender and me being a saver. Um, and so I think that this is a great topic because I know a lot of couples really struggle with this as well. And we've made it work. And I've got, we've got a bunch of tips today to, for how other couples can make it work. Um, and I think the one important thing that we were talking about when we were preparing for this podcast is how, how this is kind of biological, actually. So there was a study done by Rick Sider and Lowenstein in the Journal of Consumer Research that actually shows that um, there is a part of the brain that produces insula, I don't know, I-N-S-U-L-A, and the more of that that you're, you produce, the, it's likely that you're more of a saver. Because that is the response to a negative feeling. And so savers, if we feel negatively about buying something and regretting it, or we feel better when we save money, we are actually going to produce more insula. And so we're more inclined to save, where a spender may not produce as much. Hmm, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. So in other words, it's one of those things where uh, it's just a personality thing. I One of the things that people say to me all the time is that they want... They wish they were more of a saver, where I actually think it's very good to have both people in a relationship, and hopefully by the end of this podcast, people maybe feel a little bit uh, more positively about their spouse if they've been having some money fights or disputes or something like that, and uh, we offer some ways to sort of appreciate the other side of the coin. Sure, and just know that it is genetic, so there's <laughs> nothing you can do about it at all. Um, but you know, it's there's just, as in anything, there's a lot of things that are um, ingrained in people for uh, biological reasons and or uh, behavioral reasons. And, and we can really, you know, what, what physical fitness does and what we do is help people with the behavioral stuff and really making uh, positive changes. Yeah, absolutely. Let, let me ask you this. Um, in When you coach, mm-hmm. with couples especially, do you see that there's always more of a, 
one is a saver, one is a spender, like what percentage, I and mean, what is it, do you ever have two savers, do you ever have two spenders? Uh, yeah, I would say about, uh, you know, maybe 75% of the couples have one spender and one saver. So mm-hmm. this is where, you know, opposites attract, you tend to find a way to balance each other out, and this is true for money as well as a bunch of other things. So um, I would say most couples have one spender and one saver, so it's very normal. Um, the next sort of grouping, I would say, would be two spenders. And then it's really rare, but I have seen it, where you actually have two savers in a relationship, uh, where both people really like to hunker down and save. And uh, I really do think sometimes those those couples really struggle with enjoying their money. Um, and so you know, that's kind of what we're going to talk about today is how there's pros and cons to being both a spender and a saver. And so, you know, it's I think it's a good thing if you've got one of each in a relationship, and that really is the majority. Sure. Good. And as long as you can learn to understand what your partner is their mindset is going through and then how to compromise right right exactly. and that's that's the big thing is how to how to compromise with whether you're the saver or the spender how to compromise with your spouse and, and make it work yeah and my approach with money is always that it's, it's all about progress right so you know we do this podcast today and maybe the next conversation you have about money is just a little bit easier you know and then the one after that is just a little bit easier so we always want to make progress but it's I don't think that it's always going to be perfect. So even us, you know, we've been married 11 years. We're pretty good at this stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll still have a money fight every once in a while. There's a difference between destructive money fights and constructive money fights. And as long as you can lead towards being a little bit more constructive, even if it's not perfect, continue to try and make progress towards finding a way to make these decisions where you're on the same page. Sure. Okay. Perfect. So what would you say... uh, how are you? How would you describe yourself as a spender? So, what mm. kinds of traits do you have as a spender? I I think in general, I'm I'm a very laid back kind of guy. Mm-hmm. I go with the flow with most everything, mm-hmm. but um, including uh, money, including money, especially money. Um, and I can I'm okay with a lot of things. Yeah. I can just be okay with something. I, I think that's why for, for you, you can always just say. Oh, we'll find a way to make it work. Like mm-hmm. that is just sort of yeah. your laid back approach for everything. So, like, oh, it'll be fine. We'll find a way to make it work. Don't yeah. you think? Yeah, like absolutely. That's sort of the personality with money is that you're not worried about it if we don't have a, a very good plan in place. Where as the saver, I'm the opposite. So right. I want a ten point plan in place <laughs> <laughs> with deadlines and all sorts of things. I want spreadsheets. I want I want the whole thing mapped out. You know, to the penny. Um, because that's how, you know, I do tend to worry about things in general, though. I mean, I, I do tend to be much more of a worrier, and that just carries through to money as well. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, what else? I, I feel like I can also um, justify things quite easily. Yeah. Um, and especially justify wants and needs. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, spenders in general can always justify just about anything to themselves, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, we're... For me, as a saver, I have a really hard time justifying anything, you know, where it's like you sometimes have to tell me, like, just go buy that. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. You you can buy yourself that, you know, where for you, you can you can justify very easily wants and needs. I'm okay with the needs, but even the wants, I have a really hard time. There has to be a very clear reason there and it has to be very specifically adding value in some way. Right. Yes. And also you want to make sure that if you are buying something, even if it is a need, that it's the best deal. You do a lot of research. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right? Researching. Researching. A lot, yeah. 
uh, spreadsheets and she nerds out on that kind of stuff. I do. I like to geek out on numbers. Yeah. Yes, but I think if we didn't live off of a budget, I think you would be much more inclined to buy extravagant gifts. I think that would make you feel good as a, as a spender. Yeah. yeah. You know the, um, the love languages? Yeah. Aren't yeah the five love the five languages. languages? Mm-hmm. Wasn't I? I don't remember what I was, but I think that was like I enjoy giving gifts to people. I think that was one of the things that I... Right. So it can come across as spending money maybe frivolously or, you know, without a plan sometimes as part of the, the stress where it's just unknown to the partner, uh, when really it just makes you feel good to give gifts. It's one of the ways that you show love. Mm-hmm. So it's just you enjoy it. Where, like I said, I think that is a really good, great trait that a spender has. And so, um, you know, we don't want to squash that, I don't think. I think that's a wonderful trait that you have that you show love by you know, showering others with gifts. I think that's a good thing. So, um, okay, so what about, we talked we talked about some things for savers a little bit. Um, you know, I like to geek out on spreadsheets and number crunching, and I've got lists for everything, and so I just like to always have a plan in place, right? Right. Um, I rarely spend something unless there's an absolute need there for it, so wants are not always something I will spend money on. It really, you actually almost have to convince me to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Where in need, I can justify. Um, I like to plan to the nth degree. Yep. Uh, I think one of the things that I have that, because I'm a saver, is that I call this the good enough syndrome. Mm-hmm. Where things that we have in our life or in my business or whatever, it's just good enough. You know, mm-hmm. where something might not be broken, but it's not exactly working either. Right. But I can easily tell myself it's good enough because, again, I, I'm, it's going to be really hard for me to justify replacing something. Sure. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I call that frugal, <laughs> which is not a bad thing at all. Right. It's know. not a bad thing. No, not at all. Yeah. But there are probably times. So, you know, every couple has, you know, you, you meet a couple that's been married for like 60 years and they always have those little jokes that, like inside jokes or ways that they poke fun at each other from like when they were 20, right? Right. Uh, well, we actually have one of those. And this has to do with, I think, the good enough syndrome mm-hmm. where um, Michael and I have, if you've ever heard us, you know, you've been hanging out with us either at a restaurant or a bar or something, you might hear us poke fun at each other for the sound bar. Right. The sound bar is a story in our marriage that really represents the difference between being a spender and a saver, um, but so many other things about our personality too. And, um, so, I don't know, why don't you go ahead and, like, start telling okay. them about the situation. Well, we had moved uh, to Arizona from Michigan about eight years ago, and we had a TV. And, you know, with, and it was brand new at the time, so, and, and as you probably know, TVs in general don't have the best speaker system. And so we were watching movies and TV shows, and, and it was just hard to hear a lot of things, especially when it's an action movie, and there's either the soundtrack or the explosions or whatever if you're watching that, and you can't hear the voices. Um, and so, But then you almost need to turn it down during yeah, the explosions because yeah. you're like, oh my God, it's yeah. so loud, but then they're talking and having a conversation, and we're like, turn it off. Yeah, so you have to turn it up <laughs> when they're talking, and then it, gets, it blows your drums out when there's an explosion or something. So uh, I would, I'd say we need a sound bar or something because to, to, that would stop it because uh, the speakers on the TV aren't great. And what was my reaction? I don't remember. No. <laughs> we don't need a soundbar. We don't bar. need a soundbar. No, we, it's, it's, it's fine. It's fine. We, we'll deal with it. We'll deal with it, basically. You know. Right. It's good it's, enough. It's good enough. It's good enough. We don't need it. Well, then, I don't know how long we went with, uh, 
you know, the, the same conversation sort of over and over where we'd be watching a movie and I would complain about not being able to hear and Michael would very gently, yet again, say, we should probably buy a soundbar and I would very gently back say, nah, right. no, we don't need it. <laughs> so, um, you know, lots of time went by. I don't even, how long do you think? I, I don't even want to ask this question because I'm a little nervous to hear the yeah, answer. I was, it's... At, at least two, probably three years of this conversation. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it was a long time. Yeah, it was, um, it was quite a while. So, and then, I, I don't remember what happened where we ended up buying a sound I think we got a gift card. I think we Best got a gift card. So, so, that is one of those things where, as a, as a saver, a, a gift card is a very easy way for me to yeah. enjoy spending money on something like that, mm -hmm. because I feel like it wasn't my money. Yes. So it's easier for me to spend it on something that feels frivolous to me. Because e even today, a, a soundbar feels frivolous to me as a saver. It really does, which sure. I, we have, you know, moral of the story, and we'll get to all the details, but we uh, we actually do own a soundbar now. I love it. We actually have a second TV in another room, and I keep mentioning that we probably need a soundbar for that TV. Yeah, can you believe that? She's <laughs> telling me we need a soundbar. <laughs> so you've created a monster. But, yeah. um, so a couple of things about how I think we learned how to make a spending decision when the spender finds it quite easy to buy this and justified, and the, the saver, me, it was really going to be hard to justify this. Okay, mm -hmm. so a few things that we think would work really well for other couples. Um, the first thing uh, is just, just sort of realize that as a saver, that person needs time to process, rationalize, research, crunch the numbers, in order to make that decision. So where a spender says, we need a soundbar, they would probably go to Best Buy that day and buy a soundbar, mm -hmm. that a saver is very unlikely to be able to do that. They're going to need time. So allowing them time to work through that. Now, I do think maybe two to three years for a soundbar is a little extreme. So <laughs> um, do not follow my footsteps in that regard. But um, And then a spender, you know, maybe that person can consider the value versus the price. And so, you know, you could buy a $2,000 soundbar or you could buy a $100 soundbar and need to replace it soon. So maybe just try to do a lot of research on the value, how long one will last. It doesn't have to be the most expensive because you're already going to have a hard time justifying that to the saver. So don't go with the most expensive. It's only going to take be a harder conversation. But try and do research on which one really offers the best value. Absolutely. And especially for electronics, like because I do this all the time now, if we do feel like we need a soundbar or headphones or something, that there are tons of review websites that um, that give you all that information. Like, this is the best value soundbar for the price. Here is the most extravagant one. Um, this one equals the sound quality of this more expensive one. So they're just, you can do a lot of research very easily. Yeah. And, uh, and present that, I would say. Yeah. You know, it sounds like a business transaction in a way. Like, yeah. present that to the saver, but they're going to do that themselves. And if you can kind of bring that to the table, one, it's going to save time. Um, two, you can do all the research and pick the one you probably want and sort of say, here's the, the one with the most value. Uh, and it really will help to sort of facilitate that that decision. So uh, one of the things that I think you, you would rut routinely do with the soundbar is explain the value or the benefit of getting a soundbar. So as I was complaining about not being able to hear, you know, you would say, well, you know, a soundbar would make it so that that, that doesn't happen. Or we would yes. be able to, you know, fix that if we had a soundbar or something. So the, the value there, the benefit of having that. So, and I think the other thing that you did a really good job of doing is saying, um, when we get it, it's, it's going to last a while. So we won't mm -hmm. have to buy one for a while sort of thing. So it is something that, 
you, you don't buy and then two months later you have to keep buying it, which again, as a saver, if you want them to, it's very hard to commit to, to spending money on a regular basis. Right. So if it's a one-time purchase, that's a really, uh, a lot easier to justify, yes. I think. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. As a saver, one of the things I think you can do to help uh, is after you've taken a look at the numbers or done all your spreadsheets and lists, if you're anything like me, which you probably are, um, is to try and give some sort of time frame back to the spender. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's we can afford it in six months if it's something big or, you know, let's talk about this again in a month or let's talk about this again next week. Or I think it's really important to just let the spender know that it's not no or never. It's right. just not yet. Yes. And let them know that you're still processing that. Um, otherwise, I think if you don't give some sort of time frame of when you're going to revisit it, then it's like you just keep talking about it over and over and over and over again and not really making any decisions. And then the spender gets frustrated. And that's where you want to prevent the situation where all of a sudden the spender's out one day, they see a good deal. And because you haven't like really made a decision, they just buy it. And then right. that creates a whole lot of other money fights that we don't want to, you know, create. So try to give some sort of time frame of, let's talk about this again in two weeks. And then finally, making sure you're sitting down and coming up with a financial plan of how you're paying for something together, mm-hmm. you know? So whether that's a kayak or, yeah. um, you know, a sound bar in this case, it really can be anything, you know, a new riding lawnmower or whatever, but sitting down and saying, how are we going to pay for this? Uh, you know, when can we buy it? Are we going to give up anything so that we can afford it sooner? Right. And do not let all of those decisions be put on the saver's shoulders and really sit down and strategize together. Uh, which will simply make the saver feel a lot better about making that decision sooner. Mm-hmm. I, I know as a spender, if we say, hey, we, let's, um, you know, we're going to get a sound bar. I, I probably would be fixated on getting a sound bar that day. Um, and if, if we didn't live on a budget, I would just go buy one. Right. But now, you know, we say, you know what, this is, this is the one we want to buy. Here's how much it costs. This is budget-wise when we can actually purchase it. And that just makes you feel a lot better, makes me feel better having a timeline of, you know, it's going to be two months, but then we're going to buy it cash and we're going to, no big deal. Um, But if you just, you know, as a saver, you say, nah, let's just put it off and not have a dialogue and and plan it, it, the spender is probably going to go buy it anyways (laughs) and you're going to have a fight. So um, having a dialogue and planning and budgeting is, I don't know what it, Ten could be a ten five type five ten minute conversation. Oh yeah, yeah. Easily, I mean it's an easy conversation. Yeah, a uh, little bit of planning, and then everybody's happy. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I totally agree. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think that that's good. The other thing too is as a as a spender, um, I think it's really important for a spender to have some of their own money. So you know, if you have like your own little cash, and every paycheck you get a little bit of cash that you can do whatever you want with, um, or if you have a separate savings account for that person where they you got put a little bit in every month, and then when something big comes up, they can go buy it. Um, Because the other thing is that a saver, I know, I don't always like to field or entertain the idea of buying something all the time, you know, where it always feels like, okay, what else now? What else do we want to buy? Where I could go forever without buying anything and be content. So sometimes I feel like if I'm always entertaining an idea, um, it's, you know, it's exhausting to me and stressful. Mm-hmm. And so if you've got sort of your own money and as a spender, you know, hopefully you guys can find some some money in the budget to allocate towards the spender just a little bit every month. That way, if there is something they want to go buy, it doesn't have to be a conversation. This is sort of their money. Um, they can do what they want with it. 
and they can sort of spend it all at one time or they can let it stockpile and then make a big purchase with it or mm-hmm. something. It does eliminate even half of those conversations. Sure. How, what is the best way to come up with a number? I mean, this is a hard question, I know, but like... Um, you guys didn't see the look I just gave. Yeah. I'm like, oh gosh. Um. <laughs> I just this question on her because I, I mean... Yeah. How do you come up with, say, somebody gets $100 a month? Like, how do you come up with that number? Uh, so this really, there's no right or wrong answer. There's no clean, pretty formula that I can give you that if you, you know, A plus B equals C. So really some of the, it really has a lot to do with, well, how much discretionary income do you have? Like, how much can you allocate? Um, how, what other needs already get met from the budget? So there are some things that you don't have to use your spending money for because we already pay for it. Mm-hmm. You know, some people, for example, um, uh, what's the, like, XM or Sirius, you radio. know, um, that might already be part of your budget where, in another example, it's not, but the person wants it, and so they're going to save up and pay for, like, an annual subscription to it with their own spending money. So it really depends on what kinds of things are already being met by your budget and what things aren't. Uh, and then I think it comes down to having a regular fluid conversation. So pick a number that gives you a baseline. Just start there. Do it for a few months and see, is this make meaning? Is this making it so that things are easy and effortless and that dollar amount is fine? Or with that dollar amount, are things still, there's still not enough money? Is there maybe not enough money in the family budget to do other things? And so we need to lower it a little bit. But by creating a number and doing it for a little while, you create a baseline. And then from there, you can decide we either need to lower this, maybe 20 bucks, or we need to increase it, 20 bucks, or whatever the case may be. But you know, you can sort of adjust it as you go, where that very first number you pick might might be guesswork. Sure. Okay. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Good. Uh, but like I said, it's all about progress, not being perfect. So just know that the first number you pick will probably not be perfect. It probably won't work perfectly. But as long as you try it for a few months and you make progress towards getting a little closer to the right number, that's really what you want to do. Sure. Okay. So uh, anything else that you can think of for the that transaction? Anything that savers and spenders can do to make it easier on one another? I don't think so. I think in general, like the, what we've been saying is just, uh, you know, do you have conversations mm-hmm. about what um, what your needs and wants are and, and plan and budget? And that's that, that seeing that works for us. I think that's pretty much what we do. Yeah. What if we're talking about couples? Uh-huh. What if you are not in a relationship and you are a spender? Okay. So how can you uh, not have, have some... Uh, have a saver in your life. You need a saver. Yeah. How, how can you be a saver yourself if you're a spender? Yeah, and you know, it's funny because I a lot of clients or a lot of people will say, oh, I really wish I was more of a saver. So spenders in general want to be better savers, mm-hmm. and then only once in a great, great while, I mean, it's really, really rare, where a saver actually says, I wish I was better at spending. Mm-hmm. There are some of those extreme savers, and I have had one client who's a young gentleman um, you know, had a ton of money in his checking account and still had a really hard time spending any money at all, like on anything basic. And so because he always had a lot of guilt associated with that. So that's really on that other extreme. And so for him, he he did find himself saying sometimes, I wish I could spend a little easier. Um, but again, I think that's sort of the exception. For the most part, I think spenders oftentimes hear, or find themselves saying like, oh, I wish I was better at saving money. You Absolutely. Know? Um, so let's say you are a spender but you're by yourself, you're single. So how do you hold yourself accountable? The one sort of tip is that you, as a spender, need to be able to touch and see your money. So do not use a credit card. 
really try to use cash for whatever possible. Having that in your hand, physically in your hand, using it to actually pay for things, you out of sight, out of mind will not work for you. So you have got to make it so that it's tangible. Uh, the one sort of example is a bar tab. If you go to the bar or to a restaurant, you do not do a tab. You pay for each drink every single time. Because again, as a bar tab, that could totally add up and you don't even realize it as a spender. Okay? So you really want to make sure you're physically paying for every single drink and that way you're actually touching your money. So any type of, any type of pay as you go is, is really a, a better option for you. Uh, find an accountability partner. This is probably the number one uh, benefit that I offer to my single clients is that they have somebody that they have to report into or somebody that's going to watch over them or simply have the conversations with or to bounce ideas off of. You know, if, if you're in a relationship and you're having a bad day, you have a spouse to sort of say, don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. Don't go and spend money just because you're having a bad day or something along those lines to help you balance that out. But if you're an individual, you don't have that person, but you need to find an accountability partner. So whether that's a really good friend um, maybe another professional, somebody that you respect professionally. Um, and it's very important that that person knows what you're trying to accomplish. They don't have to agree mm. necessarily, but they can't be a naysayer. They have to support you. They have to be the one that's going to talk you off the ledge of spending and do it in a way that is motivating to you. So they can't just be like, no, you can't buy that. They have to find a way of why can't you buy it? You know, because this is what you told me. You told me that this was important to you because you want to pay for a down payment on a house or something like that. You know, it's that's why this isn't that important to you as opposed to just saying no. Uh, and then lastly, I would say there's actually a, a trick. And uh, there was a study done that showed if you were to ask yourself three to five questions before you make a spending decision or a purchase, that it is enough to get you out of the thought process that you're in. So if you imagine what a spender is like when they're about to make a decision, they're totally in their head and they're having this conversation they're justifying it to themselves. They're giving themselves all of these reasons as to why this is totally okay, right? So they're Absolutely. in this sort of toxic thought process, and we have to find a way of getting them out of that. Mm -hmm. And there was a study done that showed that if you were to just stop and ask yourself three to five questions, and so I'm going to ask you to write down the three to five questions and put them in your wallet or in your purse, and you would pull them out. And I, I always say shoot for five, and three or four of them need to be financial related. So, you know, is this really supporting my financial goals? Uh, am I just justifying this to myself because I want it? Mm. Uh, can I wait to buy this for 24 hours? Because sometimes just waiting 24 hours gets you out of that mindset, right? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, another question of, is there a better use of this money than what I'm about to buy? And then the cool thing is that the study says that as long as you ask yourself five questions, it doesn't really matter what the questions are. So literally the fifth question could be, what's my favorite color? Or what's my oh, dog's well. name? Or it's really the act of asking yourself the five questions and answering them that gets you out of whatever irrational sort of mental thought process that you're in that we're trying to break. Interesting. So it can be so it can be a couple in the moment financial questions mm -hmm. like do I need this, et cetera, but it also could just be, be anything, anything to kind of break. So it's kinda of like Caesar Milan yeah. going yeah. the dog and just gotta <laughs> just gotta break that, get out of that. Yeah, that's like, oh my God, that's such a good example. It's kind of like you're just putting yourself in place and check a little bit. Right. Yes, that's exactly right. what it is. And um, if that can pull you out of that mindset, that hopefully set it down. Uh, I also suggest 
for people if you're in a store and you're buying an item. Now this is a little harder if you're buying things off Amazon or you're buying them online all the time, but if you're actually in a store, set it down. So set it down, maybe put it behind something on a shelf so no one else is gonna take it or whatever mm-hmm. you wanna do. But literally set it down and walk away. Go walk around the store, go walk out of the parking lot and come back or something, but set it down, get it out of your hands. Because if it's in your hand, you're committing to it in some right. way. And we need to get that commitment out of your system. So set it down, walk away, and maybe you'll make it so you don't actually walk back to it. I like that. Okay. Um, so those are the few tips that you can do if you are a single person and need some accountability or need some help to... Um, make some different decisions. And again, not every spending decision or every decision to buy something is bad. You know, so some right. of them are totally fine, but these are just the ones that you think, this is not part of the plan, This is I should probably not have bought that, or it's more than I yeah. really should be spending, or I really don't need this. Those are the kinds of situations. In the heat of the moment, kind, kind in, of. Impulsive. Impulse buying, that's what's called. Yeah, yeah. impulse buying, exactly. Yes, exactly. Great, all right. So now's the time where we want to answer a uh, listener question. Okay. okay. So this question is from Steve. And Steve says, I was just promoted and received a 30% raise. Just that's great. Um, How can I make sure I am smart with this increase in income? I have a goal of buying a house in one to two years. Oh, good question. Well, first of all, um, so many people will get a raise and then a year later not feel any richer or not have any more money than what they thought they were supposed to have. It's very natural to have an increase in income and then turn around and have an increase in expenses as a result. So goal number one is we do not add any fixed expenses to your budget when you get a raise. You can go and you can add and buy things with it, um, but you want it to be things that if you are going to spend it or save it, that it's at a specific time. Um, It's not anything you're committing to on a monthly basis. You're not going to go from a $200 car payment to $350 just because you got a raise because you're in that for a very long time. Does that make sense? You're not going to increase any of your fixed expenses. Um, The next thing I would do is uh, when you get that very first paycheck and you can see the dollar amount difference in the paycheck. So maybe in this case, a 30% raise made it so that the paycheck went from $1,000 into your checking account to $1,300. The next time I want you to fill out a direct deposit form and make it so that that $300 goes someplace else. So it doesn't actually come into your main checking account. That way you're not actually even seeing it. Okay, so in this Steve's example, he is wanting to buy a house. So maybe he opens a savings account and he calls it house down payment or home fund or any number of things. And that $300 gets direct deposited into there. That way, all the extra that he gets is actually going towards his new goal. Okay? Yeah. Because it is purely extra. For so long, he was able to operate without that money, which means it should be extra, so let's put it in there. Let's put it, do something directly out of your paycheck just so you don't even see it. You don't have to manually do it. It's going to be automatic. Sure. Okay. And that's like an extra, if that's an extra $600 a month that he could be saving and have a great down payment in Absolutely. two years. So, and the other challenge I have for Steve, if, you know, if his goal is to buy a house, is to meet with a loan officer, you know, pretty soon, talk to them, let them look at their credit, his credit report, and see, you know, if he's got debt, does he need to pay off the debt? Where does he need to get his debt to for, you know, his debt to income ratio to qualify for a house? Because some of the extra uh, may need to go towards paying off debt. And even though it sounds like that's not going to the house, it indirectly is going to help him buy the house. Or if that's not the case, maybe he doesn't have any debt. 
um, or the debt that he has is maybe like a student loan or something and it's not hindering his ability to purchase a home, then absolutely open a home down payment fund, stick the money in there, but at the same time meeting with a loan officer will really help him to decide how much of a down payment is he going to need, what's he looking at, um, as in, in regard to how much money he needs to save. Sure. Okay, great. I good question. Good. Congratulations yeah, on the race. Yeah, that's, that's great. You don't see a 30% raise very often. <laughs> yeah, good for him. Great. Well, the last segment for today, we are, always going to, we are always going to close with this, is we're going to call it Carmen's Corner. Yay. Carmen is our seven, seven and a half month old daughter, um, and uh, we get a lot of questions about kids and money. Yes. So we want to have a segment every time about uh, just something, a tip for talking to your kids about money, a game you can play, a conversation you can have, a lesson you can teach them. So many times people come to me and they say, my parents never taught me about this. Or sometimes even to the a, a more extreme example is they saw their, their parents be really bad with money, whether that's spend a lot or going to debt or not save or any number of things. And that has really affected them today. Hmm. So... My challenge for parents out there is to not do the same thing to your children, okay? So to have conversations with them about money, but then I know that that is such a daunting idea. The idea of, well, what do I say? You know, so your five-year-old doesn't need to learn compound interest, but what does your five-year-old need to learn versus your 10-year-old, right? So that's the whole purpose of this Carmen's Corner is simply to give you an idea of a conversation you can have, uh, maybe a... Uh, a lesson you can give them, how to give them the lesson, and, and that sort of thing. Sure, great. Yes, so what we want to know is, and, and what I want Kelsa to point out is, what to do for kids and their lunch money. Right, so here in Arizona, uh, kids are back to school already. They start really early in the, in the month of August. I know uh, we're from Michigan originally, and we didn't usually start till after Labor Day. Right. So, uh, Either way, kids are going back to school, whether they're already in school or they will be soon. And lunch money is a wonderful way to start talking to your kids about money. Mm-hmm. I think it's a little unfortunate, but nowadays a lot of the schools have debit cards for lunch. So I don't know if you had a debit card when you were in school for lunch money. We did. We had, it was just a little scan card, like a laminated piece of paper thing. Um, and I, you know, I bring a check in for every, I don't know how, two weeks or a month and uh, they pay that, and then they'd get, uh, uh, I, they'd scan it when I went checked out for the lunch lady, and that was it. And Interesting. Yeah, that was so it. My school never did that, so we always had cash. Well, you know, you had to take oh. quarters or dollars or whatever sure, it is, sure. you know. So we never, when I was in school, we didn't switch to that yet. But I know nowadays I think it's more common than not to have yeah. a debit card or an account, you know, where the lunch lady knows the kid's name or something along the line, okay. those lines. But um and it's, I think it's easier for the school, it's easier for the lunch lady, and uh, that sort of thing, but it's unfortunate in the sense that it really does take away from having an actual transaction. So a child giving a lunch lady money and getting something in return is just one more example of how they're experiencing a financial transaction and dealing with money at a young age. So I think it's a little sad that we're taking the money out of it, but um, this is the game we all have to play. So this is what we have is, is debit cards now. So here's what I think parents should do is, uh, you know, if you are funding it, let's say once a month or every two weeks, your job is to kind of talk to your child about how much money they're getting on that card and then break it down daily. So let's say there's, uh, you know, 10 school days 
every two weeks, mm -hmm. so five days a week, and maybe you put $10 a week on there, so that's $2 a day. And again, this really depends on where, what city you live in, what state you live in, you know, school lunches are different across the board. But um, So you want your child to know they have $2 a day to spend on lunch. And you're going to put that money on there, you know, maybe the at the beginning of the two weeks, and they have to make it last. So they get $20, and they could go and spend it all in the first week. If they were to do, you know, go through the snack line and buy a bunch of junk food, also buy lunch, and that sort of thing. And they blow through it all in one week, then that second week they need to take their lunch every day. Mm, okay. okay. So um, in other words, what you're helping them to do is learn how to budget their lunch money. Sure. Okay, what you don't want to do is where it just auto-reloads every single time they run out of money and they have no concept of how much they're spending. It's a debit card, so again, there's no financial ramifications or there's no concept happening there of that money is not endless. In their mind, if, if you're not having that conversation, money is endless to them. And we don't want them to learn that, especially at that young of an age. So having a conversation about that, also looking at sort of the, the activity on the account. Most of the time you can log in online and see the activity. Um, and looking at it and saying, hey, you know, you, you did good this day. You were only at $1.75. This day you went over. And using something that they can relate to, they can relate to their lunch money. You know, they get the concept behind it. So really just taking it a step further and showing them the money part of it. Sure. I like that. That's great. What if, what if your school does allow you to use cash? there any other certain thing you want to do besides that? Oh, good question. So if they're, you know, if they're young, you, you probably give them cash every day, you know, or mm -hmm. um, have them ask for the cash every day from you and you give it to them. It, as they get older, I think it's good to sort of start giving them cash maybe at the beginning of the week for their lunch and ha making sure that they're spreading it out. It teaches them how to not get cash and let it burn a hole in their pocket, mm -hmm. right, at a young age, where, hey, if they spend it all on Monday and Tuesday, then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, they're packing their lunch, you know, that kind of thing. Sure. So, you know, helping them to spread it out at a young age with something that is so easy for them to understand. So slowly start to give it to them in less frequent intervals. So spreading it out, giving them a little bit more, but for a longer period of time, will teach them how to spread that out. Sure. Okay. Awesome. I love it. That's great. Um, yeah, and Abby, if, uh, if you're listening, you want to let us know, because I'm curious, each school district and school is, I'm sure, different, but I'd like to know how parents, what they do. Do they use a debit card? Do they use cash? Um, so hit us up on our Facebook page, Physical Fitness PHX is Facebook, um, and, and just leave us a little note, and I'd like to hear what, what your school uses and if you guys do something like what we were just talking about. Right, or if you've got another tip that you want yeah. to share, and we can share it with other parents. I love... You know, I feel like let's not reinvent any wheel here. Let's uh, all spread the word and help each other out. Uh, and the next podcast is going to be all about debt, right? Mm -hmm. So getting out of debt. Um, and so let us know what your questions are for that. And uh, we will try to answer those on the air. We would love to get your questions. If there's any topic that you want to hear about, we uh, we would love to hear from you. So you can email Michael. Actually, Michael, give him your email address. Sure, it's Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, at fiscalfitness.com phx.com. Yeah, and we'll make sure we leave a little note in there for that so that you guys can access that easily. Uh, send us your questions or comments and we'll try and get them on air or at least uh, get a topic or a podcast going for you. Sure. Alright guys, well thanks for listening and we will talk to you next week. Bye! Thanks for listening to The Saver and The Spender. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address, www.fiscalfitnessaz.com, to your family, friends, and colleagues. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes. 
Follow us on Twitter at I Am Fiscally Fit and on Facebook at Fiscal Fitness PHX. Join us next time for another edition of The Saver and the Spender. <laughs>